to episode 67 of Be Boomer Unleashed. I'm Jerry Lake, the Unleashed Baby Boomer, and I'll be your host for today's episode and for all the episodes of Be Boomer Unleashed. Today's episode, episode 67, The Evolution of Music, part four, an interview with John and Christy Snodgrass, part two. Before we get into this uh, interview with John and Christy, let me tell you, as always, where you can find our podcast. We can always be found at beboomerunleashed.podbean.com. You can find us on iTunes and Google Play at Be Boomer Unleashed. You can find us on iHeartRadio at Unleashed, And on Facebook, Spotify, and Instagram, you can find our link at Be Boomer Unleashed. And on Twitter at Be Boomer Unleash 1. As always, we encourage you to drop us an email to beboomerunleashed at gmail.com. That's beboomerunleashed at gmail.com. And let us know what you think of the podcast. Uh, Give us suggestions for future episodes. And as I always say, if you'd like to be a guest on Be Boomer Unleashed, just tell us what you want to talk about, and we'll probably make arrangements for you to do that. Well, last week we interviewed John and Christy Snodgrass as we talked about their involvement with gospel music over the years. And this week we pick up where we left off in part two of that episode. So, John, you know, we talk about Southern gospel and Southern gospel singers, and you talk about knowing these folks. It's kind of like a community, isn't it? I mean, everybody kind of knows everybody, don't they? It it is. I mean, locally especially, and then regionally uh, also, and then the national crowd, they all know each other and their best friends. You know, they're not, there's there's competition just because, you know, it's mainly guys, you know, (laughs) so we always... We always want the fastest horse uh, or bus or, you know, the loudest song or the highest note or whatever, you know. But but as far as it is a, a true brotherhood, a true family community, um, for example, especially with Facebook, I get to see it when, uh, you know, Legacy 5 has a bus down. These other guys are saying, hey, you know, help them out, send them money or pray for them and that kind of thing. Uh, the Neelands uh, just recently have had a, just a, a run of experiences. I don't believe in luck, so I won't call it bad luck. But if I didn't, that's what I would call it. Right. Uh, Jason has a heart attack, and, and he's out for a while. And then just as he's back, he's they have a little farm down there outside of Atlanta. And uh, has a uh, uh, he's leading a horse around, uh, and it's kind of skittish. Daggone if his phone didn't go off and that horse kicked him and broke his kneecap. Oh my goodness. So he's, he's, he's back out again, you know what I mean? But so, so we're all concerned and we're, and then of course this coronavirus and this is their livelihood, you know, sure. this thing has uh, really devastated all entertainers, you know, and, or ministries, if you will, whether it's singing, preaching, I mean, there's just meetings canceled left and right. Oh yeah, so evangelists, various yeah. fundraisers and things like that online, and trying to keep revival spirit going. I know, uh, for example, Dr. Harrison is starting an online revival meeting Monday night somewhere uh, down in Tennessee. Is where it's originating from, but it'll be worldwide, of course. Uh, thousands of people. We watched Gold City do a Facebook Live concert the other day, just messing around the studio. There was over four thousand people watching it. Wow. And, and uh, you know, and they people sending them a dollar or two or ten dollars or fifty dollars or whatever they feel like sending them, put it on PayPal or write them a check, call it in, you know, however you do it. 
but but these these things that's part of that community we all care about them even though we don't know them i'll tell you a quick story about that sure back in uh probably night is 1999 glenn payne the leader of the cathedral quartet uh came down with what we now know was liver cancer we didn't know at the time and he missed the quartet convention he was in the hospital so they get up on the stage, and they'd already set it up to do this, but they had Glenn call in while they were on the stage. And George, uh, the, the other leader of the group, George Johnson, bass singer, extraordinaire, he said, Glenn, sing that song that you've sung so many times. And uh, he he sang it, and it's, I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Right. And it was a great moment, great moment in history. And um, probably what? Ten years later, we're we're still our church met at the Mountain State Christian School there for several years, and uh, before we built our building, we're there in choir practice, and I'm going to learn teach the choir that song. And we started it off, and I just bawled like a baby. Yeah. I mean, just I mean, and I said, now I don't I can't really explain this, but let me tell you this: my dad and I got along fine, uh, but mom and dad divorced when I was like one year old, you know. Right. And, and he wasn't around that much, but again, we didn't have any problems. Like, you know, it's so apt to hear, so I'm not whining or crying about that. And he died about 12 or 14 years ago now. And uh, and I'm, I'm telling the choir this. I said, here's Glenn Payne, who I've admired since the 60s, you know, uh, and, and watched him and studied him and loved him and his singing and his songs and his ministry. And here this song just came back to me that powerfully, and I'm just bawling like a baby. My dad died, you know, and and I made sure everything was taken care of. I was the guardian for him, and he had Alzheimer's and all that. But point is, I didn't shed a tear. It was like he was a friend of the family. Right. That's that sense of community that we feel, those of us that get out there and do a little bit of it, or used to even do a little bit yeah. of it. You know, and, and I still fill in here and there for different groups, but uh, it's it's a it is a absolute family. It is, and, and it, to go ahead. And it's a family within the group. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of times people don't realize exactly how much time a group spends together. I mean, you see us up there for forty five minutes, two hours, whatever the concert time is, but we are together a lot, and so. Um, it's it's like traveling with family, even though you're not blood relative. Right. So you 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 develop a relationship that's you know off the stage, so to speak. But it's it is the most different kind of relationship that you have anywhere else. You, there's there's no other relationship like that. It's it's almost like firemen and EMTs and policemen. Right. Like that, that thin blue line they talk about, you know. Right, because it, yeah. it's a different relationship whenever, you, but when we weren't together, well, you know, a lot of times. We still hung out. We still hung <laughs> out, but a lot of times, you know, you were with your family because you were always respectful of family time right. whenever you're, you know, not singing. We mm-hmm. try to always respect that. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't think people realize that, how much, how, 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 what the inner workings of that group of people that you see up on the stage. Oh yeah. Well, and, and that's, that's typical. We, we all walk in, whether you're talking about a board meeting or a church, 
you know, nothing just happens. There's a lot of stuff happens before the, the before person, happens. before the door gets unlocked. Right. Yeah. So, Absolutely. And, and, uh, but you know, especially these days, I know your church is live streaming and all that. And that's, that's more than just walking up and flipping a switch. There's yes, it lots, is. Of, lots of things to do about that. And uh, so I'll just say anybody that's listening, go thank whoever's doing that kind of stuff for you. Right. <laughs> right. Because it's so easy to just assume it's just always going to be there. And, you and we're finding out this week and these yeah. last few weeks, it ain't always going to be there. Right. And the more you're together, the more you're together, the more you realize what's going on with the other person. Right. Like, even in a concert, you know, um, you can tell if they're having an off time or, you know, you know, we like to think that we set aside whatever's on our mind whenever we get up there to sing. But what a lot of people don't know is what gets it's just like a preacher. I've heard Pastor Rick say a lot of times, you know, I just wish I could come in the auditorium and no one speak to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. and, I, that's the, I that's the same thing we are because we don't you don't know what all gets said to people. Yeah. Some of know. it's not really nice. Not really nice at all. <laughs> well, and you know, you know, with other genres of music, so to speak, you have your pros and then you have your garage bands or you have your people to get around jam. But the thing that I've kind of noticed and correct me if I'm wrong, but the thing I've kind of noticed with uh, gospel music and southern gospel you have some folks that do it full time that's their living they they do that full time and then you got a lot of people that work another job but on the weekends or whatever they're out gospel singing yeah. and then they've got to be back and ready to go to work Monday morning and yeah. right. there's there's a there's a good mix i mean it's not you know well i'm professional i'm going to look down my nose at you it's it's you know everybody's kind of on the same page Yes, that's sir. Exactly yeah, right. that's right. That's right. The first year we we met, when I joined in May of that group, mm -hmm. we did 120 dates. Right. And, and, and that's not counting our day jobs and travel right. dates and all that. Right. Yeah, we would we would come home. There was many times we would roll in our our houses at two and three in the morning, get up the next morning, and go to work. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So you know, it's it's um, you know that they do make money off of it, and it is. It is, um, you need to support that. I mean, not only with your attendance and your money and your offering, but in the product sales. Yeah, and buy some CDs or whatever. Thing. All yeah. that goes, all that goes to uh, help them make mm -hmm. their house payment. You know, like we have a friend that always says, you know, I don't need your money, but the bank does. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, and the thing of it is. The seem to really appreciate <laughs> Putting uh, putting together a gospel group is not cheap. I mean, no, you've got to have amplifiers, and microphones, and sometimes instruments, and and you've got travel expenses, and you've got this and that and something else. And and people they show up at church or whatever venue it is, and they sit and they listen. All oh, that was good, you know, but they don't realize how much money these singers have got in. Uh, being able to provide a product that these people want to listen to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've got a I've got a friend that uh, you know he never charges churches uh, his group, and they, but he, he says it this way, and I, I really appreciate it because it it tells the need, but still, you know, he says it costs us. We look at our annual expenditures and expenses, uh, income and expenses, and uh, it costs us eight hundred dollars to show up. Sure. Every day. And 
So some churches can afford way more than that. Other churches can't afford it at all. Now, you know, and it depends on how far your people are spread out and what kind of, you know, where you're going. So you got to eat and you got to feed the bus and all that stuff, you know. And uh, but but the point is, is they go and let the Lord work out the details on it. But but at the same time, it's uh, it's just that's one more stressor that they don't need. They're there to minister. They shouldn't have to be concerned about that. Right. right. But I've had that same conversation because I used to book the group all the time. Yeah. You know, and so because uh, we were always asked about money. Most most every time we were asked, you know, about charging and that sort of thing. And I would just tell them, you know, this is what it cost us to pull out. And all those years ago, uh, when we were traveling, it was almost three hundred dollars for us to pull yeah. out the driveway, and we didn't own a bus. Yeah, we just had we just had we vehicles, had our <laughs> SUV and a trailer. You know? Yeah, that's right. But, uh, I, and then I took it over for her for a while, and and uh, made a guy mad one day because he said, "How much? How much do you charge?" I said, "How much you got?" <laughs> <laughs> so that was the last time that was John the last did time. that. <laughs> that's funny. John never did that again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me ask you this. Uh, I thought that was quite clever, but apparently it was. <laughs> he didn't think it was clever. <laughs> the, uh, uh, well, I used to run into the same thing all the time. You know, I sh- for years I shot wedding f- uh, pictures professionally. Oh, I- and, oh, uh, and, you know, they would say, you know, well, come on, do a friend, give a friend a break here, you know, and they don't realize how much money you got strapped around your neck when you go to that. That's exactly it. Those lenses aren't cheap. No, but in talking about Southern gospel and and this series that we're in the midst of here uh, is we're talking about the evolution of music and we're uh, covering different genres and Southern gospel has it changed much over the years? What, where, where, where was it, and where is it going? You think? What, tell me about let me, it. Let me answer. It. Let me, let me tell you what my take on it is from a musician's standpoint. Right. Okay? Um, I miss live bands with southern gospel music. Oh yeah. Because of the inability of the group owners to play pay for players to come and play on the road because, right. you know, they have house payments too. Sure. They had to go to track music. Yeah. Now, track music is very beautiful. It allows them, affords them to, you know, go in lots of places. But I miss a live band. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can encore, you can, you can, you can just wing it if you want. Wing if you it, need to stop it. to preach a while, you can do that. Yeah. I mean, you know, that kind of thing. That, to me, is one of the biggest changes that I've probably seen in Southern gospel music um, in, in, from, a, from a musician standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, you know, you're talking about, you know, you can stop and preach a while or whatever, you know. One of the things that I think are neat about the, the live bands or the live groups is you might have one of the, the group members uh, talking, and here's the piano player in the background just filling in while he... Right or she is given a testimony or whatever, well, you, you don't have right. that option with a track. No, no, not unless you not unless you put, and some groups do, they put like a, what time they're doing intros or talking or things, they might, they'll have like a fill in behind them. But I still love that live band. Yeah. I mean, it to just, me, they're just as vital to that group as the four guys or two ladies and however you got your your thing standing in front of you up there in the front. It just adds to that experience 
of of the concert, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, quartet music, of course, started, you know, back, really started out of convention singing, shape note singing schools and all that back in the 20s. Uh, James Vaughn Music uh, started all that. And basically, he'd hired these four guys and a piano player to go out and sing these songs out of this book. And they would travel around teach those things and sell those books. That was, that, I mean, it was purely business, but it became bigger and bigger and bigger. And then in the forties, it got really mainstream. Um, RCA Victor picks up the Statesman Quartet when they started in 1948 and the Blackwood brothers, of course, which had already been singing for years, but I mean, they were on RCA Victor, man. That was, that was huge. Old Molly O'Day from right here in Huntington. Oh, wow. Was, you know, she was a Columbia country music, <laughs> and uh, she she walked into Columbia Records and said, I'm telling you right now, I just got saved, and I've sung my last country song for the devil, or however she put it. Right. And he's like, you can do your gospel lesson, because he knew he had a meal ticket there, you know. It was it was just a, uh, a great thing. Well, I've got, because everybody knows I like that old classic stuff, you know, where I used to have my radio show and all, um, we... We still get people say, hey, my mom died. Do you want her records? Yes, sir. You know, that yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, I don't know where I'm going to keep putting them all, but I've got friends that have, where I've got hundreds of records, they've got thousands right. of classic stuff. I mean, really good stuff. And, uh, but, but I mean, it's it's gone from that four guys and a piano player. And then in the 60s and so forth, it kind of grew into having a full band and the 70s. And then, as we saw the 80s coming on, we that's when the soundtracks started coming. The the financial pinch kind of came along. Plus, you know, the consistency of the tracks is there. You know, I mean, you you can put orchestration in it or horns or whatever, and and that way, if some you don't have an off night, assuming that the track player don't break down. You know? <laughs> well, and and sometimes that happens. We know. So it's a, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Let me tell you a great story about Molly O'Day. I got to know Lynn and Molly years ago, back when I had a, a wood stove store uh, over yeah. around Barbersville. And Lynn Davis and Molly O'Day, of course, they had a show. I think it was called Country Hymn Time, and is on WEMM and uh, one o'clock. Uh, and uh, <laughs> they, uh, so I started uh, advertising with Lynn and Molly, and my business just took off because their listeners were were faithful. Well. Yeah. I told Lynn one day, I said, Lynn, I said, why don't you let me put your stove in your house here? And uh, he said, well, okay. He said, that'd be great. I said, I'll, I'll just bring one down and put it in. And matter of fact, I took Dennis Mills with me to help me. And But Molly used to say on the show, she would talk about it. She said, have you had your good little prayer today? Yeah. If you haven't had your good little prayer, said, uh, you're just too, too, too busy. You know, if you're too busy to pray, you're just too, too, too busy. Said, you need to get away in that closet, you know. So, so. I've been over many a time back in the 80s. Women would say that. I'm like, I'm sorry, Jesus. Yeah. So Dennis and I were down putting that stove in. And uh, Lynn had gone out somewhere. And Molly was still in the house, and Dennis and I heard Molly talking to somebody. And I'm going, is she talking to us? And Dennis said, I don't know, man. And so we could hear her talking, and man, she wasn't she wasn't whispering. She was really uh, talking, you know. Yeah. And so we kind of tried to find where the voice was coming from. And honest to goodness, Molly O'Day was in her closet. 
Awesome. On her knees, yeah. and she was talking to Jesus, buddy, and she was right. she, she was doing business, and yeah. I'm going, wow, that's not just something she says, that's something she does, you know, and yeah. awesome. there just aren't many old timers like that left anymore. No, but but used to be, you could say if you asked the question, uh, you could say if Jesus walked into the church, who would he sit beside? Right. You know, Molly was one of them. You know, oh, yeah. Was oh, yeah. There was a lady in my church growing up. There's a couple of them. I, he'd probably have to make them sit together so he could sit with them. You know, <laughs> you know uh, and it's just, you know, there's just people like that that, that just make the rest of us and should be ashamed. Of, right. You know? yeah. That's just like, you know, a couple episodes ago when I was talking to Randy Bishop about the music of the 50s and 60s, and Randy was in several bands, and what a talented musician Randy is, and they did, you know, dances and, and that kind of thing. And then the dances, like you're talking about the, the gospel singers are going to tracks, well, the dancers, the dances quit going to live bands, and they go to DJs, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they, they play this this canned music, which is fine. But it's a, it's a it's a big change. Uh, but there are still folks out there who like that uh, live band uh, opportunity and oh, yeah. uh, that live group opportunity. And and there's there's still quite a few groups uh, going around singing, traveling, aren't there, John Christy? Oh yeah, still Ernie quite a few. Haas. Ernie Haas has Ernie Haas has a band, and all the of course the Isaacs and the Primitives and the Bluegrass type groups they all are doing everything live, of course. And and a lot of groups have a piano player, at least a piano player, right? Uh, maybe a piano player and a bass, or a piano player and a drummer, something like that. Uh, but the live, I, I like, I still like live music. I'm kind of oh, partial yeah. to it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and too, you know, of course, you know, yes, Keenan Mares yeah. have a lot of bands. So, but you know that that's a lot of fun for the for the attender for the concert attender. It's it's a a fun experience to see all of that at you know going on at the same time. Yeah. So where do you see Southern gospel going? Is there still is there going to be a niche for that for the next twenty years or? Oh yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. When I was when I was young, uh, you know, when I was in my twenties, and I'm sixty now. But when I was in my 20s, that's when I started hearing the rumblings that, oh, it's going to die. You know, everybody's gray hair that's there. And when they die off, it's gone. And I kept waiting for it to die. You know, I I, I heard that. And I, I guess I kind of, uh, I won't say that I bought into it exactly as much as I thought, yeah, maybe. You know, that'd be terrible. But as the older we get, the more we look back, right? Right. So, so I'm here I am 60. I can look back to my 30s. And say, I, I should say, when I was in my 30s, I looked back and said, man, I really had a great uh, opportunity growing up, great history, great heritage, everything about my growing up years. Not everybody can say this, of course. Right. was great. And we didn't have any money. We didn't have. We didn't know it, though. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> we, we were, That's we were, right. All we had was was heritage, and uh, but man, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for all the money in the world. I really wouldn't. I'm just telling you that, and that has just continually perpetuated. And I see that people that I've gone to school with, that I've become friends with on Facebook, um, that that were you know maybe good kids, maybe a little wilder or whatever, and they're Christians or they're you know they they just grown. 
and they're all looking back that 40 years ago now, you know, uh, to where we were in high school together or whatever. It's, it's, uh, you learn to appreciate stuff the longer, or at least you should. <laughs> Some people grow, you know, don't you feel bad for them? Some people grow old and are never, never appreciative of what they had. Oh, I know. And like, I, I, like, like they've always walked around with a chip on their shoulder. Yeah. And still there. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for the upbringing I had. You know, when I when I tell young people, I say, you know, we didn't have running water till I was ten years old. You know, we drew yeah. water out of the well. You know, and they say, oh no, you didn't. Do it. And yeah. but uh, you know, we did, and I, I'm just thankful for it. I, I had a great yeah. life. Well, you know, we, there are there are still young people coming into gospel Southern gospel music, um, and they are quite talented. Oh, my and they bring a freshness to it, um, and they're able to identify with their age group, you right. know, and and older people as well, you know, um, and they have all that musical influence of whatever their parents were listening to whenever they were growing up, you know. Uh, we always think whatever era of music we grew up in when we were a teenager, we think that's the best music ever, yeah. you know, and so they take that and use that in the influence to to make the music today and we have wonderful songwriters in mm-hmm. in uh, gospel music today Absolutely. still and they're still writing powerful lyrics that still you know preach the truth uh the music might be a little more progressive as a whole than what we grew up with i shouldn't say might it probably it is, is as right a whole. but there's still lots of tradition there and there's still lots of uh of truth again you know like i mentioned in the lyrics and and that's what makes a song you know i i used to talk to people and they do a special you know for the offering you know at church and they just jump up and start playing you know whether there's a guitar or a horn or whatever and i'm i'm halfway through the song before i realize what they're saying right what they're saying you know playing and i would tell them i said man next time say if you don't say nothing but here's at the cross or here's amazing grace or whatever right that way because it's the words, the, the lyrics of the song is where the power lies. Right. The, the licks and the and the uh, arrangements entertain us, and nothing wrong with that at all, of course. You know, but that, the song becomes a classic because of the lyrics. Right, absolutely. And you, know, you think about when I, you know, again, to this day, and like I say, I look back and how many times has song like He Touched Me or... Um, I know my name is there, page three forty-six in the red back. You know, <laughs> those kind of songs that just, no matter what Satan throws at you, you still got something to lean on, and right. that's because they're truth, and they're truth not because you learned them. They're truth because they reflect what the Word of God says. Right. And no amount of arranging will change the truth. Right. No. So you know you can arrange a song out the wazoo, but it's not going to change the truth of the lyric. Absolutely, and we all have our preferences. You know. Some people say, oh, I don't like that rock and roll stuff, you know. Okay, but don't say it ain't gospel. You know, right. that ain't gospel, you know, and I've done that. Everybody's been judgmental in their life, right? Sure. But sure. That, was, that was before I was 30. Well, the, th- <laughs> the thing, <laughs> the uh, thing you, that you, can... You're like, that ain't gospel, and it ain't even gospel yeah. unless there's four guys up there in matching suits, you know, or whatever. You'd say something stupid like that. But, I, but, but if a song elevates the soul if it points you to jesus if it elevates christ and his preeminence then that makes it a gospel song now if you don't like the music or the arrangement that's attached to it that's preference right that ain't got nothing to do with the song right, right? 
but the problem is, and and I and I agree with you that it's the it's the lyrics that really make the song, and being able to understand those lyrics. But absolutely. Uh, uh, but what what kind of buffaloes me a bit today? There'll be somebody come out with a quote unquote gospel song. And the words, the lyrics just aren't there. And and you can listen exactly. to the thing. And am I listening to a song about Jesus or am I listening to a love song? You know, yes, and and it's just a compromise. I just don't think you can do that. I don't think there's any room for it. Yeah, but, we we I agree with that exactly. Yeah, and I'm I'm encouraged by you telling me that there are young people in in Southern gospel because. We see so much today, so much emphasis on youth sports, and yeah. uh, everybody's kid's going to be a pro athlete or something. And <laughs> you know, as as we kind of wrap this thing up here, and uh, we're we're about out of time. But as we as we wrap this thing up, um, if you had a kid or a grandkid, a Christian kid, somebody in church, and you wanted in, to encourage them to get involved in uh, gospel music, Southern gospel music, or soloist, uh, you know, singing solos. How do you encourage that kid to take that leap of faith into into that genre? Well, first of all, I think that you just need to play the music. Like, um, you know, whenever, whatever you're listening to in your car, let's say whenever you're going back and forth to school. Right. Um, will be a lot of the influence to your children. You know, um, if they're watching videos, I noticed today that a lot of children watch videos as they're traveling back and forth, but that wasn't the case whenever I was growing up. And when John was growing up, um, you know, we were in cars with radio. <laughs> you know, it was even before the FM days. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, you got, it's whatever that music that you're, you're listening to. Now, for the Christian, that should be, something that feeds you not uh I, I, you know i'm i'm very pro listen to god's music whenever you're driving because it's going to help you in your walk with christ and so you know i love all styles of music i love all of and they've all influenced me to some degree but one of the ways to influence your child to go that way is introducing to to gospel music whenever you're hiding in the car. It sounds crazy, but um, it's a big thing. We play, it's pretty much exclusively played for us Mm -hmm. um, and always has been. So, you know, and we play all different kinds of groups. So, you know, it's nothing to get in the car with us and we're listening to Joseph Habedank and maybe the next CD will be The Primitives and the next one will be the statesman. I right. mean, it, that you know. So we have that variety. So that way, they're at least exposed to that um, music, and they would be able to love it like we do. That's how we. Do. I mean, when I first heard that Calvaryman on that day in my bedroom, I was in it was love. It was a life changer. <laughs> we. Uh, I'll tell you another thing, Jerry. And I know we're running out of time, but it it hurts my heart to to go to a church and I, you know, like filling in, say with the gospel harmony boys or Calvary Hill or whoever I've helped along, you know, various issues down the road uh, and bloodline in our days too. And, and we see it more these days at 11 o'clock. It's time to start. Okay. We're going to let the kids go to children's church. Yeah. 
What's and we'll, we'll have the old people say they don't say it that way, but that's right. what they're saying. They don't. Uh, we don't want the kids to hear this music. Right. I say let the kids choose. Let right. the kids. Choose. Let the kids give them the opportunity to say I like that or I don't like that. Nine times out of ten, and this has been my experience, when you let the kids stay or you have them stay uh, to listen to us or tribute quartet or whoever it might be that's at your church, then. It doesn't hurt them to miss Children's Church one time. No, no. The music itself will, can I say, quote unquote, entertain them. Right. But it might hook them. Right. They might they might find out that they are the next Anthony Burger. You know, you never know where your influence will come from, just like Christy's story. Right. Let the kids let the kids hear it and choose for themselves if they like that music or not. Right. Just because they're young don't mean they're not gonna like it. That's right. And that does that also doesn't mean that they're not gonna get like even for me. Um, even though I play gospel music all the time, I was still approached by many bands to come and make more money, obviously, but come and play for country bands. And right. I just wouldn't do it. Right. You know, I just, I loved gospel music that much that I wouldn't, I just wouldn't do it. So it's, it's, I think you just need to expose them to it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that way they can, they can, they'll decide whether they like it or not. That's great. Well, you know, you guys know you're two of my favorite people in the whole world. And, oh, sure. Uh, lo- love you guys, and I love hearing y'all sing and play, and uh, you've just been such a blessing over the years, and uh, it's really, uh, really good to be with you. And good to be with you, too. Uh, I appreciate you taking time to come on this morning and uh, uh, talk about uh, talk about uh, gospel music and talk about uh, uh, talk about Southern gospel in particular, so. Appreciate you. Love you guys. Thank you. We'll do it again sometime, maybe. Okay? All right. Sounds like a plan. Thanks. Thank you. Well, that concludes our interview with John and Christy Snodgrass. I hope you had a good time with that. I know I did. We love John and Christy, and it was great spending some time with them. Well, that's all the time we have for this week, and we look forward to seeing you guys again next week when we'll have another episode of Bee Boomer Unleashed. But until then, have a great week, and may God bless each and every one of you. Goodbye.